You're listening to Fish Food, where we present bite-sized accounting and entrepreneurship advice in 25 minutes or less. Keep listening for interviews, guidance, and resources for freelancers and small businesses. And if you enjoy, rate and subscribe to let others know about the gym you found. Now, let's get started. Welcome. Um, We're just getting started. Today, we're going to be talking to Pitch HR about um, resumes, hiring, and getting hired. Wanted to give you all some tips about staying ready um, in the midst of a process where we don't really know what's going on, but that doesn't really matter. We want you to be prepared regardless. So once Tiffany from Pitch HR joins, we'll get started. Hi. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, so everyone, I want to introduce you to Tiffany, who is the career cultivation enthusiast and founder of Pitch HR. Um, I wanted Tiffany and I to come on today to talk to you all. Um, it's not really a series, but a couple of lives that I'm going to be doing this week and next about staying ready. Um, I think the goal in the midst of all this chaos and uncertainty, I know we're hearing those words over and over again as people are like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? And today the talk, I really wanted it to be around how do we make sure that we're ready even when things are level, even when things are fine, um, how do you make sure that you're prepared? So um, I welcome you, Tiffany. Uh, and Thank why you. don't we start with you telling me, telling us who you are and what you do? Well, so as you know, I'm Tiffany. Uh, by day, I'm a senior HR manager at a technology company. And by night, in you know, all of my free time, I kind of just focus on helping people find their way navigating interviews and working on resumes. And okay. that's where the whole career cultivation comes from. So let's go to that. Why did you start it? Well, there's always been a need, I think, from first time I took my first real job, people kind of always needed help with their resumes and I'd make them look better. And then I got more into actually changing the verbiage of them and, and making sure their resumes could actually possibly get them a call back um, versus just copying and pasting from a job description. And that skill just kind of grew. And one day I woke up and said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I just made it a bit more official. So we're going to get more into like the resume tinkering and adjustments that probably need to be made. But earlier this week, we had some questions to our IG story. Um, and I wanted to talk about the responses to those and maybe a bit of myth busting. So the first one was true or false. A resume should be one page. Just for some context, 78% of people said, yes, that was true. So that one is kind of a trick question. Most of the time, your resume should be one page. Even if you've had 10 jobs, 15 jobs, most of the time, your resume can be one page. Now, the caveat to that is, are you a federal worker having to apply through USA jobs? That's a completely different story, completely different format. Those can be between eight and 15 pages, you know, depending on what the position is, because there's this very specific format they have to follow. You have to put certifications, salaries, you know, former supervisor's name and contact information. You have to give them your whole life story in those. But a traditional normal resume for someone who's working specifically in the private sector, nine out of 10 times, we just need one page. So question, maybe because two C level. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, I know a lot of us, me included, and we talked about this a bit before this, I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I've been in the work industry for 10, 15 years. Of course, mine is going to be two pages and that's just fine. I thought that the one page situation was a myth. So 
I guess quick tips. What what is a good way to consolidate some of that? Because I'm sure some of it is just like we're using too many words. But let's say yeah. to your point, you do have or have had 10, 15 jobs. How do you make that condensed into a one pager? So it's a little bit of magic and a little bit of logic. I like to say it that way. So most of the time, you don't want to bypass seven bullet points under each job. And you want to narrow your bullet points down to things that are specific, something that you can specifically say, I increase revenue by such and such a percent. That's one thing. If you're in sales, don't say, I spoke to customers on a daily basis. We already know that. I don't need to see that. Tell me. I had this goal, I surpassed my goal by X percentage, three out of four quarters. Make mm. it something very specific, quantifiable if you can. You can do that with pretty much any industry. Um, and here's a little tip. Applicant tracking systems actually look for you to have about five specific numbers. It doesn't matter what it is, but it looks mm. for you to highlight things that are numbers or quantifiable by percentages, dollar amounts, things like that. So that's a little free tip for y'all there. Oh, mm -hmm. I did not know that. <laughs> yep. um, all right. So the second question that we asked in our stories, um, and it was funny because I was kind of checking this throughout the day and it the level kept shifting between what people thought was the right answer. But it mm -hmm. was how long does a recruiter take to look at a resume? We had two options. The first was six to 10 seconds. The second was 10 to 15 seconds. And 60% said six to 10 seconds. That's correct. That's 60% is correct. What you've got to understand that we usually get about 250 applicants for every job posting. That's bare minimum. Because think about it. There's there's a whole group of people who they could be working at Subway, right? Nothing's wrong with that. They see a position for, this is a, this is a real example, entry-level software engineer. They're applying. Mm. They have no experience in it, no education with it. They're just they're just like, oh, I'm going to apply for this because some people just go through and apply, 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 and they think someone's going to call them back. Nope. So that is very accurate. We will skim through very quickly. Six seconds, I can pinpoint, okay, education it doesn't need it. Uh, work experience. If we say we need minimum five years and you come with me with one, I, I can see that within that six oh, seconds and yeah. I move on to the next. We're not reading every line. That's why you got to give me numbers, give me percentages, give me dollars, skim it, boom, move on to the next one. Okay. So, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question because obviously there's all these nuances that lead into mm -hmm. this, but like almost how is that possible? If I apply and, you know, I'm an applicant, I put all this time, all this work into it, you like six seconds, boom. If I meet say the base qualifications, you needed five years, you needed me to have a bachelor's or a master's degree. You can see that on my, um, on my resume from jump. So now I've probably passed the first six seconds. You might put me in a pile. What's kind of the next tier of things that you're looking for to weed out the next group of people? Well, I'm actually going to throw a little dent in what you said there. I'm not the first stop. The applicant ah. tracking system is filtering around 70 to 75% of the applications off the rip. Now think about it. You've applied for a job before, right? And yeah. within 20 seconds, you get that. Thank you for applying. That's why. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there was something with your resume that didn't meet the bare minimum, um, whether it's your experience. It could also be the formatting, however. You know, mm. people who put their pictures on it, sometimes it messes up the actual format of the resume and the applicant tracking system can't 
pick up the words that it's looking for or it's jumbled because no matter how fancy and pretty your resume looks when you send it in, you got to remember nine out of 10 times, it's not going to a person, it's going to an applicant tracking system. So it filters through. And so when the recruiter is actually looking at it, we all see the same thing. It's uh, black and white tech and it's showing us, okay, this so person matches. So does the fanciness matter? You know, I think people, I, I would say people of my age, cause mm -hmm. I act like I'm old, but <laughs> we used to have to print them out and like yeah. bring a copy when we were going somewhere. And so I wonder how much of that is this idea still in our head of like, you're going to print it out and see it on paper and you're going to see how pretty I made it. Does mm -hmm. that matter at all? It does. It does matter because especially if you make it to the point where you have an interview, they do want to see it. The person interviewing you, even if you're interviewing mm -hmm. at a tech company like I did, they wanted me to have my printed out resume. I always mm. take it with me no matter what. Okay. I've forgotten it one time and someone was like, oh, you didn't bring a copy. And I was like, oh my God, I should know this. So yes, you still want it to print it out and you still want it to look good. Your document needs to look good no matter what. Okay. But there's a way to make it look good without allowing it to mess up with what the applicant tracking system does. That's gotcha. kind of what I specialize in. I'm going to give you something that looks good, but if you're looking for someone to give you a glamorous hot pink background, put scent on it, a picture, I don't <laughs> do any of that because you're not going to get the job nine out of 10 times with it because it's going to filter you out even if you have all the experience. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we have gone through like a couple of questions. My next question would be, why are these even important? Like, why do you need to know how quickly somebody's looking at your resume or how long it should be? Could those things actually get you kicked out of the running from being considered for the job in the first place? Well, the easy and simple answer is it's important because you want to make yourself look as good as possible in as short a period of time as possible. Mm, okay. I'm guilty of this and anyone else I know in HR and recruiting are kind of the same way. We have short attention spans because things are coming at us from every single direction there is. It could be benefits, it could be an applicant, it could be, you know, a general question. We want to get to the point and we want to see it in black and white. And so for you to catch our eye after you make it through the ATS, of course, you just just give me the meat, give me the meat, make it look good, make it sound good. So that's why it's important because you want to get mm. the job. You know, we're not here to do the song and dance just for the sake of reading, you know, applications and resumes. We want you to be the right person because that makes us look good. It makes you look good. So that is why it's important. Okay, cool. So you started Pitch HR, you are offering resume um, services and even mm -hmm. some sense of career coaching of like getting you prepared to apply and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. When people come to you for service, what's the first thing you tell them or the most common refrain that you make when somebody shows up and is like, I've been applying for these jobs and I'm not getting anything, help me. <laughs> well, it depends on when, how they kind of come to me. If you come to me and say, well, I know, cause I've had this happen. They're like, oh, I know my resume is great. But since you just look at them anyway, I figured I'd slide it your way. Uh, I'm really good at butchering a resume. I don't care how great you think it is. I can find something wrong with it. Probably at least three something's wrong with it. <laughs> just to, to bring you down a peg because, and I use that loosely, but sometimes you have to give people a reality check. Like there are people who are good at certain things and mm -hmm. this is my certain thing so you you might be great in what you do but i'm here to help you get to where you want to be and getting past me 
Um, so that's one thing. I also tell everyone, like, you have the great experience. You just have to figure out the best way to tell your story. You've got to control that narrative and make it appealing and enticing to the person on the other end. And that's where people struggle, I think, is we all know what we do on a daily basis. But when someone asks you, well, so tell me about yourself, you go flat. That's mm. really what happens every single time without fail. I'll start off with that, like in an interview um, prep session, I start off with that. Tell me about yourself. Tell me what you do. And people just go blank. So kind of getting you comfortable getting over that hurdle and how to position that statement for the response is a big thing. And how do you manage that or see that differently? Because I, I mean, I haven't had to apply in a little while, but when I did, I feel like when people asked me what I did, my first thought was like to roll off the task that I performed. And, you know, I know that they talk about having an elevator pitch and just being able to succinctly mm -hmm. say what you do. But I think we've gotten used to, or I had gotten used to looking at the job description and then trying to tell you what I did that matched the job description. Is that an appropriate way to answer that question of what do you do? No, but yes. So when you're speaking to someone versus the way your resume is presented, you want your resume to be a direct reflection of what this person asked for and how you've offered it and what you've done. But when you are talking about your experience, you almost want to put more life into it and put the humanity back into it because we know what you do and what you've done. I have your resume. I looked at it. Somebody looked at it, even if I only skimmed it. So I have an idea. But you have to put it together into a nice, pretty package. So, mm. for instance, um, one of my, my very first real job, I'd say I was a financial counselor at a hospital. Right. So I was a horrible person who just collected your bill money, told you you couldn't get services, all that kind of stuff. But when someone would ask me what I did, I would say I'm the liaison between five, uh, you know, high volume departments. I work with physicians and admin teams to make sure um, patients get what they need and that they know what their service coverage is before they even step through our doors. I'm really that link between the business operations team in the healthcare system ah. and the people who need services and give those services. I just threw it together one day and I was like, you know we're going to go with that. And it works because you have to get people to see what you do, but kind of what that big picture is, how you can help their business. That's the biggest thing. What's the value add? We know you can do these things. You made it here. What's your value add? Gotcha. Okay. So that's a good segue to our next question. We had a question from the audience. Um, <laughs> how do you go about pitching yourself while at the same time determining whether or not an employer is a good fit? That's a good question. Um, I would say the big thing is you need to do your research first. So before you even get that far, do you want to pitch yourself to this company? What are these companies' values? Um, what is the work-life balance like? Look at Glassdoor. However, you want to look at Glassdoor with a squinty eye because people fudge their reviews on there. I, as an HR person, have been asked to do that more than once, actually. What? So, you know, you, you can look like at real reviews. No, 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 no. So <laughs> for the most part, you can. However, there's nothing blocking an employer from going on there and creating multiple profiles, creating multiple email addresses and putting reviews for themselves. Oh, I've seen gosh. it. I have said I'm not doing that 
and I've moved on after that because if you lured me here under false pretenses, I don't need to be bringing other people here with it either. Right. So do your research, but look at it with a squinty eye. Get your facts and have questions ready at all times. They, they're going to ask you questions during the process. Have your questions ready. What do you need to know? You need to ask them. Well, you know, like, what are you really looking for outside of what's on this resume and in this job description? What do you need for your personality uh, or for the personality mm. of the person you bring onto the team to be like? Because I want to see if that's the right fit for me. What's the manager's yeah. management style? Like, that's the stuff I need to know. Okay. And I feel yeah. like when we go into interviews, we're so busy trying to pitch ourselves of like, I want this job. So I'm just going to tell you all the reasons and all the ways that you should hire me. Um, right. That it feels difficult to also flip that to be like, but maybe I don't want to work for you. Why don't you kind yeah. of pitch to me as well? How do you recommend or what's a type of question that you think that people should ask to even be able to kind of open that up? Well, one, you have to go in with the right mindset. Know that you're the asset. I know right now things are a little weird and, and there are a ton of people who are out of work that didn't anticipate being out of work, but still always go into it knowing you're the asset. They need to sell themselves to you because you need to make sure they're the match for you. Um, so I would always ask, what is the management style, like I was saying, because that is a really important thing. I can't work for a micromanager. That would drive me crazy. So maybe don't ask, well, are you a micromanager? You want to ask, well, what's your work style? What kind of communication do you look for from your direct reports? You know, how often do we meet? How often do you do performance reviews or quarterly check-ins? Do you do quarterly check-ins? Or That's the kind of thing you want to look for. Okay. Um, because those are the things that employers don't think about telling people. When's mm. the last time you looked at a job ad and saw, oh, we promised that we'll give you checkpoints. So you can check in with us and have access to us on a weekly basis, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. And for everybody who's here, if you add questions to the live, I'll be putting them in so that we can make sure that we answer those throughout. Some of you are as answering or asking questions that we're going to get to something similar. So I'll just wrap that in the same bundle. Um, all right. So we talk about pitching yourself and you're out here and you're like, I'm great. And let me tell you how great I am and why you should hire me. But I think a huge number of people deal with the overbearing imposter syndrome, um, which I would think comes up a lot when you're going to apply for a job, especially for women, especially for people of color who automatically mm -hmm. assume like, I'm probably not good enough and may not even apply as a result. Um, what do you think about imposter syndrome and how it affects applicants? Oh, imposter syndrome. <laughs> first, I'll say it is a real thing. I didn't know it had a name at first, until what I experienced in one of my previous roles, I was high anxiety. I was always feeling like I was doing so much and accomplishing nothing at the same time. I wasn't getting feedback. I was like, what am I doing here? I've got a great title. I've got great experience. I've got degrees, certifications, Like, I, but maybe I don't belong here. And mm -hmm. so what I'll say, it is a real thing. You have to address it head on. And what you have to do is kind of, unscrew your mind to remember that you are supposed to be there. You are worth it and you are good at your job. When you know your stuff, nobody can take that from you. I was literally told that I contributed nothing in about three and a half years of being at an employer. 
and I know what I've done, but for someone to, especially the person was like the COO and my boss to tell me that I, they feel like I've accomplished nothing. Um, it, it hit me in a different kind of way. I'm not a sensitive person. I'm pretty much black and white, but, but I've done all these things, but in the moment I couldn't think about what I've done to rattle those things off. So now I stay ready. That's what you got to stay ready. Stay ready. everything. You keep a list of your accomplishments. You keep a list of the things that you've suggested that were turned down. That was a big thing for me. Ah. Um, you know, cause just to shine a little bit of light about that. I, I what I experienced was, uh, someone was brought in, a consultant, a very highly compensated consultant, to ask me what I did on a daily basis, which was weird to me because I said, but you should know what I do on a daily basis. Right. And it felt like this person was there to replace me, but I was open mm. to it. I, I love learning new things. And I was asked specifically, what did you do? What did you try to implement? And that's the process that made me realize I don't need to be here anymore because I don't have a sense of direction. I'm not you know, getting any feedback, I've begged for feedback, I'm getting none. And then to then be told, you're not worth anything. I think that's a really good point too about not just keeping a list of your accomplishment, but keeping a list of the things that you thought should be done that they didn't take. Mm -hmm. Cause I think when we're not considering the good ideas that we brought forward, we also eliminate all the work that we did to come forth with that idea. It's like, I presented this. I prepared all this stuff in the background. I talked to all these people, whatever your process was, you should get credit for that, whether or not they took advantage of it. Absolutely. So that is honestly one of the biggest lessons I've ever had in life. The here's what I attempted to do. Here's what was done with it. And here's your why of not doing it. Most of the time, when you look back, those things should have been put in place. So that's kind of what you can take into your next interview experience. And, and you can talk about that, you know, future employers, they want to know, well, why are you leaving? You always bring mm-hmm. that up. Well, here's why I left. I tried to take the company to this place, to a new level. We weren't really getting any traction. And I realized we weren't focused on the same goals. So I'm looking for an employer who is there with me and is ready to take things to the next level. All right. So now we're in the interview. I got mm-hmm. this applicant tracking system. Y'all took my resume. <laughs> I'm in. Yes. How do you recommend that people prepare for interviews? I I mean, I don't think until we talked about it, I really thought about preparing in that way. I think people yeah. are just like, oh, you got my resume. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read mm-hmm. your website. And then I'm coming through. How do you tell people that they should get ready for interviews? It's like, you've got to think about an interview like a first date. You get ready for a first date. You put your good face on, your good outfit on. And you've got to practice. That's the difference. We don't practice for Mm. a first date. Before an interview, you've got to practice because there's nothing that's more unsettling than coming into a room, sitting at the table with the person who can not make or break your career, but essentially make or break your career. They can determine your next step. If you don't practice answering those questions, you'll be shocked. No matter how accomplished you are, you can draw a blank really fast. If you don't have those questions kind of sitting in the back of your mind and your answers kind of ready and you haven't gone through rattling these responses off. I used to be so serious about my interviewing. I used to record myself and play Mm -hmm. it back just to hear what I sounded like to another person. You'll be shocked how many times you say, um, ah, uh, well, well, I did. You've got to actually go through that process, get in the zone, practice it, record it, play it back. Just not so you can sound rehearsed because you don't want to sound rehearsed. 
but you want to sound ready. You want to take those pauses. That's a big thing. Take a pause before you actually respond. Mm. Let them answer, ask you the question. And then you're like, that's a really good question. Actually, I did experience that. Let me tell you, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But you've got to practice. I think people will be, you know, they'll typically get more comfortable the more times they go through the process. I used to be the interview queen. Well, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot that I... I took for granted when I was applying for things. And I actually had a conversation with a friend about this, about um, resumes. So mm-hmm. people who make standard resumes, they're like, I'm an accountant. I'm going to make an accountant resume. And then mm-hmm. when y'all give me a different job, I'll just tweak the words a little and then I'll submit that. Um, really underestimating that it's a competition. So if you get 250 applicants and I make it through the um, applicant tracking system and I'm of the 30%, you keep narrowing me down, but I'm still against someone else. And so these small things that you're not necessarily taking advantage of. So I'm not preparing for the, um, the interview. The person that does may get it, even if I'm better than them, because you need yet another reason to whittle down the list. Exactly. Um, so while I do encourage people and tell people, oh, you're great. You're fantastic. This job is for you. You just got to remember that there are a hundred other people who are being told the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the most interesting thing that happened most recently, well, just recently this year, I spoke to a group of uh, seniors at a local high school. They're all ready. Like, I'm going to go to Georgia Tech. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to get this degree. My mom went to Yale. None of that even matters if your personality mm-hmm. sucks, number one, because no one wants a dry person. Um, and you need to look into the concept of being a brilliant jerk. That as well. People come into the room. And they are like, I'm smart. I've done this. I went to this school. You need to give me the job. And then they would hire someone like me instead who's like, look, I've done a little bit of everything. I'm not an expert, but I can give it to you. I'm real. I'll cut through the chase and I get the job done. Uh. They'll probably pick me over you with your Yale degree and your mom who went to wherever because you got to be personable and you can't be a jerk. And companies are really mindful of the vibe you give off when you come into a room now. Do you come into a room ready to learn, ready to share, you know, how you can make their team better and how you can contribute to the team outside of just your job function? Don't be a brilliant jerk, come in with a great personality and actually be able to hold a conversation. Okay. So we're in the interview, we're mm-hmm. talking through things, and now it's money time. Now for the applicant, it's always money time. We're trying to figure yes. out some jumps. When, when are you going to tell me how much I'm going to get paid? I have two questions around this. So the first mm-hmm. one um, was brought up by our audience. Thank you, Kit, which was when should you bring up compensation in the application process? My second kind of co-question to that is why isn't that an earlier talk? Like, I feel like the reason that we even have to ask the question of when we can bring it up is because it's not at the beginning. You didn't tell me when I applied you, I'm going through this whole process, having no idea how much I'm going to get paid. So can you touch on both of those? When's a good time to bring it up from our end and maybe history or just general knowledge around why that isn't something that's acknowledged earlier in the process for most people. Okay. A little bit of a loaded question, but I've got an answer for you. Uh, So first, I'll start with the fact that when you apply somewhere and they ask you for your previous compensation history, you don't give it to them. One, it's illegal in some places now, but two, they don't need to know that. That's irrelevant. I need to know 
what your set range is for this position. What were you looking to pay a person in this role? Because if I have the experience, that's all we need to know about each other. Do I fit mm. within your range? And what is your range? Now, because I have the duty of posting job ads, I'm guilty of posting positions without the pay range. I hate doing it because I've been in the other seat. I want to know what you're paying so that we're not wasting each other's time. I exactly. won't even apply if you're not paying enough. But on the flip side of that, companies sometimes don't know what they're going to pay. You know, we talk to the CFO, we ask what the budget is, they give us a budget. It may go up, it may go down. So we try not to commit to a number or a range uh, too early or we give you a range that's really broad um, because we just want to make sure that we can still capture slightly someone with less experience and some with more experience and then we'll adjust as we see fit. Okay. However, I think it's really unfair to go through this interview process, talk to two people, and then you have no idea what the pay is. And then you get to the end and you tell me you want to pay me something that's half what I'm looking for. It's a waste of time. Um, so what I do is when I talk to a recruiter and they'll ask you those initial screening questions, I always ask, I wait until the end, or sometimes I wait until the second conversation. And I say, well, I just want to make sure we're both kind of on the same page. Um, are you able to speak to what the range is for the role or what range you're looking for a person with this amount of experience to fall into? You can ask it that way. Okay. And then when they give you that, if it's not what you want, let them know it's not what you want. Um, and this is to the recruiter, not the interviewer. To the recruiter. Okay. Because what happens is the recruiter is supposed to report back to the person who's interviewing or the hiring manager and say, okay, I found this really great applicant. What we're offering is not what they want. Mm -hmm. So either it's we just let them know it's not going to be the fit. And if we get a bigger budget, we'll come back to them. Or we need to push to pay this person more because I think they're awesome and I think they need to join this team. And I've had to do that before. I'm like, you need to pay more. We have the money. Pay this person ah. so that we don't then have to go turn around and replace the person you choose that's asking for less money a year or two later. So a question came up. What about the online applications that require that you input a number there? So I've seen it before where they're like, what's your range or... Um, what's your current salary and basically won't let you move forward in the application without putting something there. How do you deal yeah. with being put on the spot to have to answer with some figure? Being put on the spot during the uh, form or in person? I'm probably both. Let's start with both? the form because I'm sure that before you even get to the interview, you're in a place where you're like, uh, should I even yeah. apply? <laughs> if I apply, how do I answer this? I don't want to lie, but to your point, part of the reason that it's illegal is because it keeps people stuck. If you tell them your current salary, they will use that to determine how much they pay you next. Mm -hmm. um, how how do you manage that? Is it just something you just have to deal with? So I've before I've put in zero before just gone down the road and put in zero. I'll be honest with you because I hate it. And the reason why it's there is because they're using the old school applicant tracking system and it's specifically trying to pull that. Okay. If you give them your salary, which I've done that before as well, it is perfectly okay to bump that number up mm -hmm. because otherwise you will end up in the same place that you were before. Now, I'm not saying, say you make 250000 a year when you made fifty, but <laughs> if you make fifty, maybe say you made $57,500. i am just putting that out there because we can't confirm that anyway. 
Wait, we so don't, I, we don't on, I have it. seen people who have had to come back and give like their pay stub or like proof of how much they actually make. Is that illegal? Were these government employees? Oh, maybe. See, it gets a little tricky with that because they have those very specific pay grades. So if you're moving around kind of within the same entity or mm. um, kind of under that same umbrella and you are government employees, sometimes they do make you do that. So I don't work for the government. <laughs> but I'm not saying that they don't pay well or can't pay well. It's just not my thing. I feel like what I made in the past is completely irrelevant. What are you paying for this role? Here's how my experience matches. Either we are a, a mesh for each other or we are not. Ah, I've gone good. back and forth with the same person who was a COO who um, told me I had not contributed. I had to fight with him to get that question removed from our application. And his point was he wanted to know because if this person was making 40,000, why should they come ask for 70? And I said, well, why does it matter when the range was 70 anyway? Right. We're obviously the range speaking be to them the because there's the fix, right? Yeah. So the range is the range. What somebody else paid me is irrelevant. I've been underpaid, <laughs> underpaid at several jobs. I'm going to tell you what my salary was based on what the range is for what I probably should have been making if, if I have to put it into the form. And something really important to bring up here for everybody is like the most money that you're going to get is at the beginning. Like mm -hmm. you need to fight, negotiate, figure out what the salary range is, figure out what you want to make and whether they're paying you enough from jump. Because once you get into that job, you're going to get incremental changes and it's going to be based on mm -hmm. that base that they gave you the beginning. So if they're only going to go up 5% for everything that you do, you need to start at a base that's high enough that those changes don't have to make you over. I think some people will go into jobs and think, oh, I say think a lot. Uh, some people will go into jobs and say, hey, I'll just take it down a little bit because they're going to bump me up once I get in. But your bumps are going to be so much smaller than the money you could have got on the front end. And so if you want an extra $10,000, extra 15000 you need to ask from that ask for that at the very beginning because it might take you three years to get that 10, 15 once you're inside. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's true. All right. So we have not all had great interview experiences. What is one of the weirdest or most awkward situations that you've had when you've been in an applicant or interview say? Ooh. Well, Oh, I've got one for you. So it's kind of ties into the whole imposter syndrome thing. Uh, I was oddly enough asked what my GPA was in undergrad and during my master's program during an interview. And it rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, what? Why are we talking about this? I have had this many jobs. I have this experience. Why are you asking me my GPA? Of course, wow. I didn't respond in that way. My response was, I have no idea. That was years ago. Um, and I was actually interviewing with the CFO of a company at that time. <laughs> and I have a tendency to keep things very real, even in my interview process, because I'm a real person with feelings and thoughts. And my thought is, why are you asking me that? That's irrelevant. Right. Um, I've interviewed with the president, the CEO, the COO. Now I'm speaking to the CFO. Why are you asking me about my GPA 10 years ago? Well, yeah. 20 years. And the response was kind of one, he was a little bit shocked that I was like, why are you asking me that? And two, 
he's like, I, I was just curious. Like, you don't, you don't remember, like, you don't remember the GPA or like what your biggest project was. I said, no, I have lived a lifetime since I was an undergrad. I could not. I said, if you want me to make one up, I can just know I passed with flying colors. And that's why I'm here sitting here today. Wow. And I also said, well, I'm a woman of a particular age. Like Miss Mindy Williams always says, I'm a woman of a particular age. I don't know what my GPA was. And, and he said, I don't nope. want to get into age. Questions. He was like, nope, I'm not trying to ask what your age is. I said, well, that's kind of where this is going. That's, I don't have an answer for you. But just know that I'm old enough to not remember what my GPA was. Don't let the baby face fool you. That was my exact response. That is <laughs> it. worked. Um, it worked. So I don't want to hold you up and everybody else up on um, this meeting. I'm so glad that you joined us today. I would say my last question is, what is one actionable step that you would recommend to everyone, whether they're looking for a job or not? You've got to stay ready. You've got to stay ready and you've got to keep that resume updated. You mm. never know when you're going to have to pull it out. Um, Honestly, my last, what, two or three jobs, it was a word of mouth. Someone was like, I know this company you should talk to. And I'm like, but I just started another job like three three weeks ago. And they're like, just send me a resume. Okay. Mm. And you come up that way. You've got to keep it ready. you got to keep it on hand. I update my resume all the time. It's a little bit addictive. You might tweak something here, tweak something there, but just stay ready at all times. And, and, and particularly a time like now. We're seeing what's happening. Um, we're kind of all at the edge of our seats. Keep it ready. I'm not saying you have to go, you know, write code for a new website, but at bare minimum, update your resume during this time. If you're either furloughed, out of work, whatever, on the weekend, you've got time. We've all got time right now. So do it. Um, the second part of that, I would say, is just brush up on your education in any way you can. Like for me, uh, I've never been a certified HR professional because to me it was honestly kind of a waste of time, but a lot of jobs want you to have that and it looks good. I want the letters behind my name. A lot of these companies or certification units are offering specials right now. I've signed up now for an HR certification at $75 off and they never have discounts on this stuff. Mm. So I'm taking advantage of it while I can because I've got time, I'm at home, you know? So stay ready. That's it. Put that all up in a, in a bowl. Just stay ready. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell the people where they can find you. Well, you can find me at pitchhr.com or you can find me on Instagram at pitch.hr. That's P-I-T-C-H dot H-R. Thank you so much, Tiffany. And thank you, everybody, for joining today. We appreciate it. Thank Bye. you. This was awesome. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, there's good news. We've got additional free resources for you to get clear on your small business finances. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter by heading to littlefishaccounting.com slash subscribe. And check us out on Instagram at littlefishaccounting.